Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Y'all sound good this morning. You know what? You sound so good. As a matter, I just want to give you a gift. Why don't you take tomorrow off, okay? Just write your boss a note. Say, hey, pastor said I did such a good job singing in church that I didn't have to come to work today. It'll be fine. I'm sure it'll all work out. Hey, uh, we are in week four of our uh, look into Ephesians. We've been spending some time just kind of walking through this book, really verse by verse, and just kind of taking each concept, each opportunity here within uh, Paul's writings to be able to uh, spend a little bit more time with the scripture. And so hopefully you've been reading along with us. And uh, today, though, we're going to make a jump. So we ended last week at the end of Ephesians chapter 2, and, and we're just going to skip chapter 3. Um, sorry, I'm just a bad pastor, right? You can complain all you want to. And, uh, but the reason is because it's a great passage. Uh, it's just very, very pastoral. It's very, very Paul speaking and encouraging uh, the church at Ephesus. And there's so much later on in the letter uh, that we're just going to kind of leapfrog over chapter 3. Here's the good news though, is that it's all okay because we've been reading through Ephesians together, haven't we? Haven't we? Which means you've been reading through Ephesians chapter 3. You've already read it three times by now, right? Yeah, I love to hear that. If you haven't, uh, then please join us, porch.church backslash Bible. Uh, we'd love to invite you into some reading challenges there. Uh, we've just been kind of reading Ephesians one chapter a day throughout. Maybe you've been reading more. Maybe you've been reading less. There's a listening app on there that you can listen to Ephesians uh, just on your commute, on your way into work, whatever that looks like for you. But I was also having some conversations with some people this week who said, yeah, I've been reading through Ephesians and it just got a little repetitive. It got a little too familiar, which... Let me just encourage you and remind you that that's kind of the point, that it becomes something that we carry with us that becomes familiar to us, and as we're going through our day that we can recall concepts that we've been reading, that we've been talking about, that we've been exploring, and our faith transitions from just something that we talk about in this room to something that we carry with us in our day-to-day comings and goings, in our day-to-day conversations. So if you find it's getting familiar to you as you've been going through it, let me give you just a couple of suggestions. Maybe read it in a different translation. If you've been reading NIV, jump to NLT. If you've been reading in NLT, maybe go ESV and get a really literal translation. Maybe you like the message and you can read it and hear it differently. When we read the same concepts and we kind of expose ourselves to them at different levels, it sounds different. And as you do that, maybe something sticks out to you. Maybe you can meditate on a particular verse or a particular idea. If something is confusing to you, you can spend some more time walking through and praying that scripture. Maybe meditation is something that needs to be incorporated into your life and you just take a section of scripture throughout your day and walk through your day carrying that idea with you. But the familiarity is why we spend the time spending a little bit more time in one particular book. It's an opportunity to get so familiar with it that we're able to go perhaps deeper than we normally would on our daily readings or on our regular patterns. So I want to encourage you to to keep up with us, to keep doing that. If you haven't started, let me just encourage you to come through and read it with us. Otherwise, you miss what's in chapter 3, and uh, you're going to be encouraged by that. But today, uh, we're on chapter 4, and and this week is actually a great illustration of what can happen as you spend a little bit more time with the text. See, chapter 4 represents a shift in the letter. Paul, in chapters 1 through 3, is really talking about doctrine. He's talking about 
time, space, and opportunity. He's talking about the right rules that it takes, having the right beliefs. Chapters four through six transitions to what a lot of scholars call exhortation, or this is the action piece. So in other words, once we have the right beliefs, once we have the foundation set in place, once we're clear on who Jesus is and what he did, we then transition in chapters four through six. How do we then live because of it? In other words, as Paul's writing this, he says that right beliefs inform or right beliefs predict right actions. When we have right actions, then of course those need to be founded in having the correct beliefs. And so Paul is just building this for us. He's setting it out for us. And so chapter four is really kind of this first look into a different section of the scripture. Granted, there's been action that we've talked about, right? We've looked at that each week, but now he's really going to shift to perhaps more practical opportunities. How do these beliefs that we have play themselves out? Right, we've also mentioned that Paul uses three metaphors throughout the book of Ephesians. Last week, we just touched briefly on this idea of the church being a building. Remember, he said that Jesus is the capstone or the cornerstone, and we put that in the context right, of the Roman Empire, this expansive empire who, when it expanded, it would build buildings and forts and roads and garrisons and aqueducts. And so Paul is saying, hey, just as when kingdoms expand, you see physical buildings, so Christ wants to build in you an eternal foundation. The other two metaphors that he uses are that of a bride, which we'll get to towards the end of our conversations, and he also uses that of a body. He touched on it a little bit uh, in chapter 1 and 2, and uh, today he's really going to be building up to this metaphor of the church, the church family, operating like a body, growing up, maturing into the head of Christ. So let's jump into the text here today. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. If you'd like to follow along in a Bible, I'd encourage you to slip your hand up. Uh, we'll be on page 459 there, 459. If you don't own a Bible, or you're looking for a different translation to read through, you can just keep this. It's our gift to you. Uh, but we're going to be on page 549, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. Through all and in all. Oops, got a little ahead of myself there, sorry. Paul, a prisoner, right? Let's just stop there. Chapter 3, he actually spends a lot more time talking about this, sorry. Uh, but in chapter 3, Paul talks about this in more detail, what he's imprisoned for and why he believes so strongly in it. But Paul transitions here in verse 1 from beliefs and doctrines to right thinking, and he says, hey, I believe in this so strongly. I so want to model this. This is so important that our beliefs lead to actions that I'm actually imprisoned for this belief. The action that this belief takes from me lands me right where I am. And so I urge you, because of where I am, that you would be in a similar place, not necessarily imprisoned with him, but to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Let's talk about that phrase, the calling that you have received. What does he mean by this? If you grew up in church world, if you're really familiar with what church world looks like, calling is really a pretty churchy word, right? Calling usually refers to like when God specially selects somebody, right? We often think of like that audible voice, 
booming down from heaven. Uh, this is the picture, the idea that we have of calling, right? That's at least what it sparks in my mind today, right? For instance, when I was in high school, I was at a youth event, and at this youth event, they had a, a time set aside where it was in a worship set, and they said, hey, anybody who feels like God is calling them to be a full-time vocational minister, come forward and accept a blessing. And I knew in that moment that God was calling me. I was enrolled for computer science, already going to college in the fall. I was a senior in high school, and in that moment, I knew that there was a calling, that God was specifically speaking to my heart and shaping the rest of my life. Now, the benefit to me there is that throughout college, they drill into your head that the calling that you receive to full-time ministry is what carries you through. Because I don't know if you know this, but being a pastor isn't all that glamorous. Uh, it's, it's secret for you there, right? Um, so they say this calling idea is what we carry with us to know that we're where God would have us be. And so calling, at least a bit in today's conversations in church world, right, it falls into that conversation. A special word from God and God an invitation, usually into full-time ministry. So you can just wipe the sweat off your brows. Whew, right? Calling worthy of what you've received doesn't apply to you, right? It's just special people, right? Pastors, missionaries, uh, Paul, obviously, because he's in prison. But the problem with that is, of course, what? Paul's writing Ephesians to like normal people, right? To like babies in the faith, to people who are brand new in this. And he says, hey, I have a calling and my calling landed me here, but I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. The question is not if you have a calling. The question is, what do you know what your calling is? See, my calling to be a pastor was clear, 100%, no doubt about it in my mind, and I'm grateful for that. But each of us has a calling. Each of us has an opportunity to step into that. What's Paul hinting at as he uses this phrase, the calling that you have received? Calling is really about orientation, about a listening in to where God has for us. He already mentioned it in chapter 1. Let me review it quick. Uh, this is Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order to know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. To know the hope to which he has called you. In chapter 3, again, oops, he revisits this idea and says that this hope in which you were saved. So there is a calling of salvation that is for everyone to new life, to new relationships with God and within the world. So when we talk about calling, I want to divide it into two kind of hemisphere, two things that we can relate on. There is a generic calling. There is a calling that is to all people at all times, to all believers, to all people. And then there is a specific calling. There's an orientation of your life. There is something perhaps specific that God has wired, equipped, and called you to do. It may be audible, it may be obvious to you, like it was kind of obvious in my story, or it may be something that you're still working through to understand. But the point is that when Paul talks about calling, there is a general realm and there is a specific realm. So let's talk about the general realm first. This is where he goes into verse 3 through 6. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We talked about peace last week, this idea of shalom versus pox. One body, one spirit. We see this unity theme rising up again. Just as you were called to one hope, there's that word again, when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So this general calling, this corporate calling, this thing that we're all called to together is the hope of salvation. We're all called, all people at all times, called to be in right relationship with God. 
we're having a breaker problem. Sorry, ignore the lights. The sound team is now freaking out. And uh, you can just give them a round of applause when they come back and the lights pop back on. Um, <laughs> I said when they pop back on, not yet. You'll encourage them before they fix it. Um, anyway. <laughs> So there's both a generic call, there's this opportunity by which we are all called into salvation, into this hope in which God gives us, hope to belong to a family, hope for something greater than ourselves, hope for an eternal relationship with a godly father, right? We sung uh, about that a little bit in the songs and just that idea of adoption. Now you can give them a round of applause. Thank them for their hard work and uh, they are anxiously anticipating that does not happen anymore. Um, Uh, But there's this hope that comes within that. We were singing about this, and my heart just kept going to adoption, right? That God has a family that he wants to invite all people to. Whether you have an earthly family or not, whether you understand what adoption is because you've been through that or down that road, God has a family that everybody belongs to, and the open invitation is that you would belong to a family, that you have a place to call home. Anybody see the, uh, the internet video of the little girl who got adopted this week? It was on like Good Morning America. It, it'll make you cry. I think my wife shared it. You can go on her Facebook feed. Uh, I don't have the video for us because I didn't feel like weeping for the rest of the service, but um, just a Powerful. Guys, let's leave the lights off. Uh, <laughs> I know. Oh, oh, here we go. There's gremlins in the machines. Um, powerful picture of adoption. God has that. He has an open invitation. Some of us have accepted that invitation. We know we're a part of God's family. Some of us know that we're adopted into God's family, but we still feel like maybe we're second-class citizens, like we're not as good as a natural-born son or daughter. That's not from God. That's from the enemy. Others, people, maybe people in your life, maybe people in this room, have an open opportunity to be adopted and belong to a family where they'll be loved forever, and they've just chosen not not to open it. They've chosen not to receive that calling. They've chosen just to let the phone ring and go to voicemail like a typical millennial, right? They're just not going to deal with that now. Sometimes it comes in the form of, we'll deal with that later, right? Maybe, maybe after my life calms down, I'll get back in touch with my faith. Maybe after I get married, then I'll be ready to reconnect in my relationship with God. Hey, once we have kids, we'll find a church home so we can make sure that they're being raised in the thought system and beliefs that we have. Once we have more disposable income, we'll find ourselves more readily available to participate and give to the church. Once the kids are grown up, we'll have more time to be able to serve and volunteer. In other words, there's an open invitation to belong to a family of God, but we tend to push back on it. We tend to say, I can only give so far, I can only be so much, but we're all called to be a part of an eternal family. And the church, this building, this place, is to represent that space of belonging within a family. And in a family, not only do we receive love and comfort and joy and affection, but we also give and lovingly serve each other. This is how families work. It's how your home hopefully works, and it's how the family of God works. And so while we're a family, every Everybody has a part to play, but all those parts are not equal, right? If everybody had to get up and give a 20-minute speech today, uh, church would not be enjoyable, right? It would be long and not fun and long-winded, and some of you may think church is already that way, but that's not the point. The point is, you all wake out there, I'm having fun up here. 
The point is, right, that we're all parts of a family, but within the family, we all have different giftings, different way in which we're called into that. So when we live the life worthy of what we've been called to do, there's the generic, the salvation, the belonging to a family, the things that we all do, and then there's the specific. There's the individual role, giftings, offices, and opportunities in which God has invited you to step into. This is where Paul goes. We're going to read verse 7 and then skip down to verse 11. Here we go. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It was he who gave, verse 11, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. There's that metaphor that we've been talking about. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness in Christ. First question, why do we skip 8 through 10? Uh, I'll tell you why. Paul is addressing a heresy in which people said that since the flesh is bad and God is good, Jesus couldn't have come down in the flesh. It was just his spirit. It was a hologram. It was something else going on. And uh, Paul says, no, that's wrong. He actually came down. He actually came. What does he ascended mean? Except that he descended. But, uh, but since a lot of us, I don't think, are dealing with that question today, show of hands, anybody? Um, so uh, we just kind of glossed over it. So number one, very, really, really important. Um, read your Bible. Don't just listen, listen to my Cliff's Notes version of it, okay? Uh, it's your responsibility, not mine. Number two, uh, if that is a question that you have, we should grab coffee because it'll be fun and uh, we'll have a good conversation about that. So, jumping back in here, general calling, everybody, all of us, all the time. You've answered the phone, you've been saved, you're a participant in the family of God, you've been called to live a life, to walk a walk that lives up to the standard. But Christ also, in His grace, gives us gifts, gives us a working, gives us a manifestation of of his spirit, a primary means by which our unique place in the world and in God's kingdom is fleshed out. Now, these specific ones here today are a little bit larger than our typical list of spiritual gifts. They actually represent kind of offices, kind of opportunities in which the body of Christ works together. They're referred to as the fivefold ministry, or APEST is the acronym uh, that we'll walk through, but it's these five offices that he lists here apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd teacher. So let's walk through these. Some of these concepts may be familiar. I know we've hit on them before, but uh, just a refresher today. So apostles, uh, these are your entrepreneurs, your go-getters, right? If you can't stand still and you always got to be moving, doing, starting something, you might be an apostle. Uh, if you hate the status quo or if you ask why the church does something a certain way and I say, I don't know, we've just always done it that way, and that like sends your blood pressure through the roof, uh, you might be an apostle. Uh, apostles are sent ones. They carry the gospel message to new places. Maybe this would look like a missionary today, but they don't have to be across Sees. If you're a starter, if you love the rocket launch kind of person, and once the boom is over, you're bored, uh, you might be an apostle. Uh, apostles today look like church planters, church launch teams. Uh, apostles start new, fresh ideas and fresh expressions. They reach out in unconventional ways. If you're an apostle, you might be frustrated with church as usual, but you're so committed to the generic call of God to salvation and the role of the church that you just can't step away. Apostles in the body of Christ really are kickstarters. Uh, they light the match. They light the fire. They blaze the trail in new directions. That's what an apostle looks like. Prophets. 
Uh, prophets, you can kind of think Old Testament, um, although I don't know how many of us are calling down fire from heaven on a regular basis. Um, if you are, we should talk because that's cool. Um, but you always know where you stand with a prophet, right? They never pull a punch. Uh, they may have gifts of wisdom or a word of knowledge. Uh, they correct and they rebuke. They guide and they steer. They usually say things brashly, like, don't do that, it's stupid. Uh, prophets in the workplace uh, might be the constant pragmatist. Does this make the most sense? Or they might have a special word of wisdom or an insight. Someone who always seems to have an intuition about which way to go and which decision to make. Uh, prophets in the church help guide and direct as well. They help with wise decision-making, with directional align- uh, alignment. Uh, if, if the apostles are kickstarters, prophets are kind of like the break, um, not because they want to stop things, uh, but because they keep the people going forward in the right direction. They keep us from being derailed and going left or right. They keep us on the straight and narrow. Because if apostles are driving, we're going all over the place, right? Uh, evangelists. If you brought a friend today, you're an evangelist, right? Um, evangelists share their faith readily and easily. Uh, it's not because you love gospel tracts, although you might, right? That might be your thing. Um, but your faith and your life go hand in hand. It's easy for you to connect the dots for others. It doesn't mean you have to go door to door or be the weird person who's always talking about church, but you're always engaging in spiritual conversations. Okay, we've been using this analogy, so let me give you the full picture, right? If we're building a motorcycle, apostles are the Kickstarter. They get the thing going and revved up. Prophets are like the brakes. Evangelists are like the engine, or I, I forgot my analogy, maybe more like the throttle, right? They give it the gas to keep going. The evangelist fervor to invite people, to invite people to join the family of God. Uh, And then the last two represent the wheels. The shepherds and the teachers allow the thing to keep moving on in the direction that we have. Uh, Shepherds are caretakers. Uh, If you love doing the meals for new families and hospital visits, if you serve on the prayer team, you might be a shepherd. If you're the person at work that people choose to share with because they know that you'll listen and they know that you care, then you might be a shepherd. Uh, you should probably lead a life group if you're a shepherd. That would be a really good place for you. Or serve in kids' ministry or guest services, somewhere where there's people for you to actively love on and learn their story. And last but not least are teachers. Uh, teachers like to share their faith, but a little bit differently than evangelists, more through a learning lens. They love Bible studies, and they geek out about Greek words. Uh, they love complex ideas and teaching others what to do in order to help them in their walk. Uh, professionally, teachers are teachers sometimes. Um, They're also researchers. Uh, They're people who like ideas and concepts and helping other people come to understand those areas. So it's a real brief run through. There's so much research and so much time spent on this, Uh, but these five offices kind of represent the way in which church works, people inhabiting these places. Your specific calling might come from one of these areas, and it's an area that we need everything in. This isn't uh, something that that wins or loses. This isn't saying which gifts are best or worst. This is how the thing stays on the road and keeps going. So a couple of disclaimers as it comes to these things versus others. These are both natural giftings and also supernatural giftings. They're both natural and supernatural. Here's what I mean by that. Your spiritual gifting in this area may play out in your work mode. Uh, you may see this at the office more than you see it at the church. You may see it in your family more than you see it anywhere else. They are both 
both natural in their practice, you can use them in every facility, in every area of your life, but they are most certainly supernatural in that when you received your calling, generic salvation, and the Holy Spirit came on you, He enabled and equipped and empowered this gifting within you. Everyone has at least one primary and one secondary office in which they hold. The primary one is probably the one that follows you throughout the seasons of your life. As you reflect back about that perhaps most primal nature of your personality, who you are naturally, uh, that's probably the primary uh, apest office that you hold. You should know that because then you can apply it not only in church but in your job and in your home to know what your strengths are. Most everybody also has a secondary gift that typically will be seasonal, that will come and that will go. So when you have a project that you just need to be the launcher, the leader for, you might find yourself working in an apostle gifting even though that's not quite where you find yourself naturally. You may find yourself being evangelistic in a particular season where you're surrounded by and meeting all kinds of people who are disconnected from the church. You may be leading a Bible study, which isn't normally your jam, but you're finding yourself equipped to be a teacher in that capacity. You have one primary gifting, and you probably have a secondary one that you can trace throughout your life as far as changing and shifting in different opportunities, different relationships, different things like that. Uh, All uh, are, they are all available always. These are gifts of the Spirit, which means they're always present in the Spirit uh, so that nobody is ever lacking. If you're at a church where you have a plethora of one, you better believe that the others are readily available for God to lead His church. There has to be balance. We've talked about this, right? We can't all be teachers, can't all be prophets. Paul in Corinthians says we can't all be eyes, we can't all be feet, we can't all be noses. Uh, there's just different roles and different opportunities there, and so there has to be balance among the giftings. And here's the final point for this, right? The point is maturity, not hierarchy. Here's where we get lost in some of these offices, right? Uh, somebody gets the microphone. Somebody gets to be the leader. Somebody directs and guides. And so we tend to read through this list and we tend to relegate the different offices to second-class citizenship, i.e. there's the dude up front with the microphone and the rest of us are just kind of down here figuring stuff out. This is not how the church is meant to work and to operate. It's meant to be a team. It's meant to be a family. And sure, there might be a guy with a the microphone. There might be a worship team leading. There might be leaders in different areas. Areas, but each area and each thing needs the giftings of the whole body of faith. We need each other. We need to be built up in that. And the goal of this, as a reminder, is not leadership, is not uh, patting ourselves on the back, is not knowing who's the best and why. The goal is maturity. Listen to the thought that he connects here, and then we'll finish up the scripture, starting at verse 12 and finishing the chapter or finishing the section, sorry, to prepare, these are what the giftings, the offices are for, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of fullness in Christ. He continues this idea of maturity. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by, with the waves and blown here and, and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, 
that is Christ. The point isn't who's in charge. The point is maturity, that all the gifts work together to bring everyone along in fullness and in maturity of faith. The gifts and the offices are there to serve each other, not to lord it over each other, because we're all a part of a body, is his final concluding thought. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Today, Paul builds this metaphor, right, that bodies grow, they mature, and the individual pieces of the body exist to serve, to be united, to be of one piece with God in the growth process. This is our calling. Paul expands this idea downward, that you're called, that you're called into unity, that that unity is to serve each other despite being unique in our giftings, and the goal is maturity and growth in the body. And so when you reverse that backwards, we're all a part of a body and we're all equipped to grow and to mature that body in one direction, to seek the unity and the peace thereof despite our individual giftings and opportunities and times and spaces. This is the calling that we have all received. We're all called to be a part of the family and the body of Christ and individually we have different specific roles to fulfill that calling. So let's talk, about, let's talk about physiology for just a second. If we're all a part of one body, if we're all cells or mechanisms, if we're all body parts within the body of Christ, what happens when a body part ceases to function in unity with the body? An infection a virus, a bacteria. It becomes cancerous, right? It begins to erode the health and the unity, the maturity, the growth of the body, and it's, it's, it instead begins to serve itself. Right? This is the problem within church body, within church politics. When we read through the individual giftings as something that is given to us that we own and that we control instead of seeing ourselves as a part of the body in which God has called us into, we stop seeking the unity and the building up and the growth and maturity of the body and we begin to serve ourselves. We begin to live for the individual voice that we represent instead of seeing the fullness of God in his creation, the body. This is the imagery of the church that Paul wants to speak into this very, very young church body and this very, very young opportunity. So let's transition from some doctrinal thoughts to some action thoughts. The band's going to come up, we're going to sing one more song, and as we move in that direction, then I just want to give you the opportunity to maybe think through some of these pieces. As we're talking about the calling that you've received and this belonging to a family and a body, where do you find yourself at in that conversation? Have you accepted the call of salvation to belong to a family of God? What does that look like for you? Maybe you need to spend some time during this next song just praying through that whole conversation. Have I accepted the invitation, the adoption into being a daughter or a son of the king? Do I feel like I have genuine belonging to the body of God because he wants you to belong? He wants you to be a part of the family of faith. He wants to invite you into his family and into this local church family. Maybe the general calling is a bit easy for you. You've been following Christ for a while. You understand its importance. It's why you're here today, but there's an individual piece that either you haven't owned or you haven't seen or you haven't done the homework on or that maybe you do at work and you do at home, but you're just not engaged in that capacity in serving God's kingdom here in this place. 
What's the opportunity that God might be asking you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received? Because the calling that you've received is specific to you. It's a role, it's an office, it's a place that you serve and only you can do it. Nobody else can do the things to serve God's kingdom that you can do. So what's your role in God's body? What's your role in his family? What are the places that you need to step into? What are the places you need to step out from in order to stop pulling away from the work of God's family and to start achieving it together? As we sing this next song, I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me to maybe tune me out and to pay attention to that small divine nudge, the the small voice behind you that you're hearing maybe in the back of your head or whispering in your ear and just to lean into that, to open yourself up to the Holy Spirit, to say, God, would you please speak to me about whatever area in my life that I need to hear this in? Maybe you just need to express to him that I want to live up to the calling that you've given me, whether that's to be a member of the family of faith, whether it's to be an evangelist, a prophet, an apostle. God, those words are scary to me, but if that's what you've equipped me to be, then how do I use that in your kingdom? How do I find out how you've gifted me and put it to work for you? Heavenly Father, you've called us to be a family of faith, to be a body all serving under you, the head, Jesus. And so, God, would you direct us and instruct us? Would you give us time, space, and opportunity to receive that calling afresh, whether it's a fresh invitation back into the family because we've been away for a while, or if it's a fresh step into a new calling, a new direction that you've given us to serve you and your kingdom God, would you speak clearly to us that we would hear you, that we would act upon it, that we would walk confidently knowing that you've called and equipped us to be a part of your work here. Heavenly Father, speak to us as we worship you now, as we go throughout this week. Remind us of your calling in our lives and remind us that we would walk, that we would keep in step with where you're working in every every facet, whether it's at home, at our work, or in our kingdom relationships. All God's kids agreed together and said,